This is the Off the Charts Business Podcast for multi-passionate entrepreneurs. Here, you'll learn how to design a scalable business so you can spend more time outside, away from the screen, through actionable ideas, real-world examples, and pep talks from your host, that's me, Natalie Lucier, founder of Access Ally. This is the Off the Charts Business Podcast for multi-passionate entrepreneurs. Here, you'll learn how to design a scalable business so you can spend more time outside, away from the screen, through actionable ideas, real-world examples, and pep talks from your host, that's me, Natalie Lucier, founder of Access Ally. I am super, super excited for today's guest because we have the incredible Tarzan Kay, who is an amazing copywriter and email expert when it comes to selling online courses with email. So thank you so much for being here today, Tarzan. Thanks for having me to talk about my favorite subject. <laughs> Yay! Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Like, How did you get into this email space for online courses and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah. Okay. So I started out as a copywriter and I didn't even know what copywriting was. I just thought I've always known I wanted to be a writer. And so I thought this could be a way for me to be a writer. And I was right. And when I started my business, I started taking online courses right away and it just like clicked and worked for me. And I know now that it's not that way for everyone, but right away, I started making contacts and early in my career, I got writing emails for Amy Porterfield, which generated like a lot of buzz and people started to know my name and started to pass my name around. And so I also discovered that email was really my sweet spot and something that I really love to do. So right away, I niched down specifically to online courses and specifically to emails with a little side of landing pages, like sales pages and reg pages and stuff like that. And I just discovered I just had a knack for it. And I took so many courses and was like, wow, this is a whole industry I didn't even know about. That is just amazing. Like the promise of it, the promise is sometimes over-promised. However, the promise is real. You know, I'm a law school dropout. I never really had any meaningful jobs. I barely even worked full time. And here was a way for me to have my own business and to build something and actually have financial stability. I was building these skills as a service provider. And very quickly, I was like, oh, well, email and copywriting is really like one of the things that everybody needs and is so critical to having an online business that is successful, I thought like, wow, I really need to use this for myself because everybody's paying me to use my skills to make their businesses successful. And I think I could probably just do this myself. It took maybe two or three years to transition into selling courses myself. And now we just have two major programs about copywriting and email marketing. I love what you mentioned about first you took a lot of online courses and then you worked behind the scenes in launches and other people's courses and now you have your own so I love that you have that whole evolution in that background of all the different ways of doing it and I think that's why you have so much expertise when it comes to all of these things so can you speak a little bit about how to make consistent sales for online courses because I think people understand you know okay to scale you either need consistency or like really big launches like how do you get to that point where you can send emails and make sales for your courses. What are some of those, those things that you've found really work well? 
Okay. So I just want to back up and ask a question that's sort of within that question, which is just about email marketing in general. Like when something that's missing from list building training is list nurturing. So list building and list nurturing, they need to happen concurrently. The promise of online business is a bit flawed is that there's so much talk about passive funnels and there's this sort of, I mean, it's not a total myth. Like I've seen people do it, but there's this idea that you can just set up this thing, this magical sales funnel and run ads to it and grow your email list and sell things. When in reality, that's not usually how it works, or that is like very advanced. And a lot of people fail at that if they start there. The better place to start is building your email list and nurturing those subscribers at the same time, like from day one, from the first, very first subscriber who joins your list to develop that consistency in business. I think that's one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your business in the early days. And depending on the size of your email list, well, then you can think about what sort of things you're going to offer. Like when I had a few hundred subscribers I was selling offers that were a few thousand dollars because that, and it was just me. So I could, you know, like I didn't need a ton of clients. If I could find someone to pay me a few thousand dollars, a few of those people every month, I was golden. And in the meantime, I'm growing my email list and I'm nurturing those people and I'm working up to offering lower cost offers that I can sell to a higher number of people. I think that's really important when you're thinking about getting the return on investment from email marketing is like really consistently building relationships constantly all the time through email marketing and making sure that your offer and the price of it is a match for the size of your email list. My email list is like the spine of my business. Everything feeds into email. That's where sales happen. That's where relationship building happens. That's like the most important part of my business. I honestly don't know any other way to do it. I actually, when people are like email, really, is that like still the thing? I'm like, Yes, that's the thing. That's like, do people still wear shoes? Like, yes, we still have roads. We're always going to wear shoes. <laughs> so I think it is just so important because it, it really is kind of the piece that holds the rest of an online business together. I agree 100%. And whenever people are like, this is the next thing, this is, I'm like, but don't forget about email because that's the one thing yeah. that you actually mm-hmm. still have control over. And so, okay, I wanted to dig into your answers a little bit. So when you say consistency, I think a lot of people sometimes are like, okay, once a month, an email once a month, that's consistent, right? Mm-hmm. Or are you talking about daily or twice a week or once a week or what's your, your recommendation? And it probably depends on the size of the list too. And then also with yes. that- people might be thinking, okay, what do I send if I'm sending pretty often? Do I send like sales pitches? Do I send blog posts? Do I like, what do people expect? I feel like there's a lot of questions that we can dive into that here. Yes. Okay. So I think, okay. So let's start with how often actually in all of those questions that you just asked, I do think it's really important something that I come back to a lot in my program email stars is it's your business So you get to decide what's going to work for you. And I think ultimately, what can you do consistently is really, really important because you might be like, okay, a daily email, that's like the perfect thing. I have this friend, 
Steph Taylor, who has a daily, she has a weekly, like a list that she emails weekly. And she has a list that she emails daily. And those daily emails are like, they're almost like tweets. They're really short, but that's something that is unique that she likes doing and that she can do consistently. For most people, a daily email is just not feasible, especially if you haven't created that consistency yet. And that's another reason getting back to what I said about list building and list nurturing going together, like as you're building your list, you're also teaching yourself consistency. So when I started out, I started with a bi-weekly email and that just felt like what I could realistically commit to at the time. I put it in my calendar. So I think it was like a Friday at noon, between noon and two o'clock. And I would write my email, I would schedule it and I would send it like all in one shot. And then I was done for two weeks. So that, like, I did that for probably a year. And in that time, I developed that consistency. And then as I grew my business and add team members and have more help, now I email my list twice a week. And that's a rhythm that works for me. And even now I'm like, there's some other things I want to do. So I'm thinking about tweaking that and like maybe making changes. So as you go, like, that's what business is. We're iterating and we're figuring out like what, what works today might not be what works tomorrow, but just like, as a, like in general, I think once a week is a nice rhythm. I think once a month is once a month might be appropriate for like e-commerce brands, I think for personal brands and for a lot of people in the online course space, it's easy to be forgotten in a once a month email. So I think once a week is great, but again, like what can you do consistently? And in terms of the content of those emails and like how much am I nurturing and how much am I selling that as well is like deeply personal. I took a program in my first year in business that said, you should send 12 nurture emails for every promo email. And I'm like, okay, so when I'm in a promotion, like I'm emailing every day, sometimes multiple times. Like if I stuck with that rule, I would have like a thousand email backlog of nurture emails. I just don't do that. So I'm like, I've found a rhythm that works for me, which is I email my list twice weekly for most of the year And then four or five times a year, we're in promotion. And then we're sending a high volume of promo emails. But for the most part, we're nurturing. And even in the nurture, like, you know, there could be, you know, I just sent out an offer to my list because I'm doing some one-on-one work. And so that could go out or I might do an affiliate offer for someone else. But that, again, that's deeply personal. Like I know email marketers that are like just constantly selling all the time. And their subscribers are fine with it. Like their emails are entertaining and fun and they really just don't mind. I know I have seen for myself, even though my emails are also entertaining and fun, that my subscribers do sometimes push back if they feel like I'm selling too much. So this is like, every business is different. Like you're going to pay attention to the rhythm like your own rhythm and what you like to do, the feedback from your subscribers and like look for the balance and it's always going to change. I do want to say in the beginning, when you're still getting over that, like selling, the instinct is going to be to not sell or else to like sort of write these really long emails, like a nice story and a something else and give, give, give. 
And then at the very bottom, like, I also have something to sell, like, if you want to buy it. So that it is like, you do kind of have to fight that instinct and maybe put yourself on a schedule of like, I'm sending three, you know, I'm sending four emails a month. And one of those emails is going to be a sales email. And that's just how it goes. I know someone who emails Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and every Friday is a sales email. So it's good to have a schedule and just know that your schedule is going to be flexible and it's going to need to be adapted over time. I love that. Yeah. And we are also on a twice a week schedule right now. And like you said, it alternates sometimes it's like, okay, we're, you know, working on a new release, so I can't dedicate as much time or, you know, something like that. So I think that's really smart to be adaptive. Um, I've also been on email lists that email seven times a day, every day, which is intense. So, and they recycle a lot of emails too. So I think it's something to think about too. It doesn't always have to be new content necessarily, especially at that volume, (laughs) which I'm not sure how long people stay on that person's list, to be honest, but Mm -hmm. yes, you talked a little bit about how you get started if you have a small list. And I think people sometimes have like list shame, right? Where they're like, it's just Mm -hmm. me, my family members and like a friend Mm -hmm. and like, how do I get over that? So, but you've definitely seen results yourself and maybe with clients about how do you get high return for a small list while you're still building that up? So what are some tips or maybe mindset stuff that people can do in that kind of early phases? Yeah. Okay. So I sort of liken it to like speaking on a small stage before you're speaking on a big stage. So I think it's good to look at at that small list. That's like just your friends and family as an opportunity to practice. However, friends and family are like different, like 14 friends and family is different from 14 people who downloaded your free PDF. So it is kind of like I do think it's important to let go of that a little bit because I don't like, I don't think it's helpful to be writing and thinking about your best friend or your mom because that's not really your ideal client. So for starters, like, let's just imagine those are 14 free, 14 people who downloaded your free video series or whatever it is and like talk to them as though they are your ideal customer. And then And remember, remembering also like you're putting consistent effort into list building as you're putting consistent effort into list nurturing. And in terms of like small list strategies, I do think one thing that's really special about having a small list and just so we're clear, like I think people typically would say would like 500 people would qualify as like a small list. But I mean, I feel like I have a small list and I have 13,000 subscribers on my small list. So (laughs) perspective and anything under a hundred would be like a micro list. So let's just say you have a small list or a micro list. Like you can do things with your people that is just not possible with a larger list. Like now I have a larger list so we can segment and we can get information and use conditional formatting to show people different messages and blah, blah, blah. When you have a small list, like you're just talking to humans. Like you could, in that case, like instead of sending promo emails to sell your thing, I would definitely get on a sales call and talk to people. It is so much easier to sell on a sales call. It's like a hundred times easier than to get a more pat quote unquote passive sale like through a sales page to a checkout page. So spending time actually talking to your people, like at that stage, you're definitely replying to every single email. I love to use video messaging tools of which there are many. So I will often in my, when I had a smaller list, I would often reply to my email replies with a video 
And people are so excited. Like nobody actually knows that you only have 15 people on your email list. Like they joined an email list. Like this is a legit business. I don't know how long it's been around. I don't know who else is here. And then they're like, oh my God, like the real Natalie replied to my email, like with a video, like you can just really wow people and provide like such a high level of connection and customer service. So I think that's, that can be a real superpower. I did. So in my earliest days, I used to do a lot of affiliate promotions. And when you're promoting as a partner, you know, you can see all the other partners and I, and we're all selling the same thing. And there's usually like a leaderboard that shows who's got the biggest sale, the most sales. And I'm like this, I'm so green with my list of like a thousand people and there's my name, like right underneath some other industry name who I know has like 50,000 more subscribers than me. But the reason my name is next to them is because with my small list, I can do such highly personalized marketing. Like I can actually talk to people. So I think that's really important to keep in mind. Like 15 people is 15 people. They're giving you the gift of their time. They're listening to what you have to say. Like if you think about that, like 15 people, like browsing your store every single week, well, that's a pretty high number. Like how many stores do you go to every single week? I love that. And yeah, I have a similar story of when I was first getting started and I was doing an affiliate promotion and I basically told people like, send me your questions. And I answered every single one. And it was like so many emails to respond to, but it's something that you can't do at scale. So yeah, it really, really works. So thank you for sharing those strategies. I think if people take Mm -hmm. them to heart, they'll really get some amazing results. Now we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Want to keep growing your business on your terms? Then sign up for my free newsletter, The Momentum Memo. You'll get quick, actionable tips to gain momentum in your business every Tuesday. Head over to natalielussier.com forward slash memo to join over 6,000 other entrepreneurs scaling on their terms. Whether you're just getting started or have been running your business for a while, The Momentum Memo has something for you. Okay, so let's dive into copywriting or email writing for sales. So, you know, how do you get started? Like, do you have a swipe file that you use? What's your recommendation for people who are not used to writing sales emails? Maybe it's, you know, they have a course and maybe they've sold a couple, you know, maybe it was through one-on-one sales or whatnot, but now they're like, okay, I want to use my email list. I want to sell via email. How, where do you start? (laughs) Okay. So yes, I use swipe files and let me get back to that in a second, but Just from a slightly higher, you know, 30,000 foot perspective, when it comes to sales emails in the majority of cases, I see like people are just not sending enough. Like one email is not enough. Like the number of students I've had come through my doors in the last couple of years that are like, oh, my promo, like totally tanked. And I'm like, okay, well... Like how many webinar invitations did you send? Like how many sales emails did you send? They'd be like, well, I I invited them to the webinar and then I sent two emails. Like, okay, back up a second. Everybody's busy. Very few people are reading all your emails. So most people actually do need to send more promo emails. So that's important. And if we're talking about like a limited time offer for any kind of product, I sort of think about kind of the the arc of the promotion. 
And in the beginning, there's excitement because the thing is available and it's not always available. And we don't even know what the thing is yet. So those early sales emails, I'll really focus on like, this is the product. This is what it is. This is the promise that I think I can deliver on. And here's like, you know, that you might see like the value load in an early email, which would be the value load could be like features and benefits, or it could be like a summary of the modules or things like that. Like we're really focusing on this is the product. This is what it is around the middle kind of period. That's there's usually a slump and that's really normal. Um, And in that phase, I, I think that's kind of like a trust building phase. And I will share stories, I'll share case studies and really try and drive home what the outcomes can be. And then toward the end, then I'm really like selling decisiveness. I'm coming back to like the product, why you should buy it now. What are some key things that you're going to, you know, key problems that it's going to solve toward the end. I'm doing things like addressing objections in like a, maybe a, who is it for, who is it not for an FAQ email, things like that. Like you're really tying up the loose ends so that people have everything they need to make a decision before the thing closes. So that that's just sort of a general framework to keep in mind. And then when we're getting down to the actual content of it, like I personally love swipe files. Not everybody does, but I love them in my program email stars. There's just like hundreds of sample emails And even for myself, like I keep several folders on my computer because I just find I like to go like emails that I like, I'll save them and then I'll sort of pick them apart. Like, okay, what is this person doing here? Okay. They're presenting a, okay, here's a hook. And then they're kind of presenting a problem. And then they're presenting like what people think is the cause of the problem. And then they're saying, here's what the real problem is. Like you do have to, when you're working with swipe emails, you do have to kind of be able to pick apart what's going on in the email and why it works in order to duplicate it. But I do think that is a great place to start. Like there's nothing more difficult than a blinking cursor. So even like, even if, if you can just get something there to, you know, just sort of to fill the white space and try and work with that. But if you don't like swipe emails, If you don't like them, I also just want to say once again, like your business, do it your way. However, just one tip to keep in mind is like, be careful, like I said earlier about burying the offer inside like a long convoluted story or something like I have something to sell. Email stars opens today, June the 9th. It's $1,500. Here's what's in it. You know, like that there's actually a lot to be said for like just giving people the information that they need. This is the product. This is how long it's for sale for. This is what it costs. And this is the outcome. Not every email has to be like a hilarious story or like totally captivating. So, but writing in general, and this is true of sales emails and it's true of writing in general. And this is last thing I'll say to answer this question is writing is a skill that is learned and it's learned over time. So your first sales emails, like if you don't, we weren't born with natural talent, which most of us weren't like, they're not going to be great. And you're going to like keep writing and keep getting practice. And also it's important to know, like if you've nurtured your audience and you have an offer that really is a match for them, like your copywriting is the final piece. 
it actually can't solve those other problems of like, if the offer's not right or the audience isn't right, like your copy has to be really amazing. And even then you're going to be converting people who aren't a great fit because it's not really what they need. So just as maybe to put your mind at ease, like if you're really building relationships and you really know what people want, like you're okay. Like you, you can write your sales email and you will make sales and you'll make more and more sales as your skill in that department grows. I have so many more things I want to dig into what you just said. So one thing that came to mind, which, you know, I don't know how familiar with you, we are with like the AI writing tools that are kind of creeping up and stuff. Do you Uh, recommend people, you know, use that to get something down on the page and edit or like not at all for emails? Like what's your, that's just like your personal take on these on this topic. Yeah, no, I definitely see the potential here. So we experimented with Jarvis this year for blog posts and I got like some really, it was, this was like purely an SEO project and I got like four massive long form blog posts written using Jarvis and, you know, someone on my team put them together with Jarvis and then I just edited them. And, you know, compared to like the one that I wrote myself was way better because it was way more stylish, but it probably took me like 12 hours as opposed to two hours using a tool like that. And I've seen people use it for email and I've seen it work. I think you have to be really careful about leaning on it too heavily. And also you do really need to know what you want to say. Like you can't like the more work you ask the AI tool to do, like the the crappier the outcome is going to be. However, if you know, I want to talk about this topic and this, these are like the subtopics or the things I want to hit on. Like you can actually, I think you can get some decent content. However, I also like, I'm not using that anymore because for me, like my brand is very personality driven. It's very story driven. Like the reason, and this is, to be honest, this actually makes me a bit of a bottleneck in my business, but it's also what I love to do. Like people know me as a writer and a storyteller, and that's really what they come to me for. So that's not the case for all brands. I think for, in some cases, people may be able to lean more heavily on it, but ultimately I looked at the content that that AI was producing. And I was like, you know, this just feels like it's not the quality that I, it's not, it's not even that it wasn't the quality. It just doesn't have like the, the personality and the flair that people have come to expect from me, which is also the reason they come back to me. So, you know, that's just my personal take on it. Now we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Did you know Access Ally is the most flexible way to sell and elegantly deliver digital offerings as your business grows all in one place on WordPress. You can create online courses, memberships, directories, and communities, and even sell team access all on your terms. Go to accessally.com to get a demo and see why it's the business scaling solution you've been looking for. Yeah, 
no, we've experimented too. And I don't use it for my emails because like you said, people come to my newsletter, like once they're on and we've built that relationship and they know what my writing is like. So it would just be very mm -hmm. jarring <laughs> to receive something that mm -hmm. was a little bit different, but yeah, I think it's really interesting. It could work for certain businesses and certain types of content, for example, but I almost mm -hmm. feel like being able to write and have your own style is going to be an advantage as more people use AI. So I feel like it's actually a like long-term strategic decision to not use AI is going to help you stand out mm -hmm. from all the people who are using AI. So kind of cool I would agree. <laughs> to hear mm -hmm. your perspective on that. Okay. So the other thing that you talked about here that I wanted to dive in was you obviously have amazing email writing skills and you, you really want to get people to actually open those emails, right? So you're sending a lot, but what do you think about subject lines? Is that something that you split test? Is that something that you obsess over? Like what's your, your take on getting people to actually open those emails? Yeah, this is such an important question. And I think it's almost like the headline of a sales page. And I have had to learn this myself. Like, and I noticed with my students, like they'll spend so much time writing an email and then they'll be like, okay, here's the subject line and think about it for like one minute. So for one thing, just as a practice, I always write four subject lines for every email, like no matter what. And we like some of the time we actually do use all of those subject lines. So we always split test. And I think for a list, like, I don't know, I'm interested what you think the minimum number should be, but I think for a meaningful split test, it's good to have a thousand subscribers. But even if you have a few hundred, like just get in the habit of doing it anyway, because it will dramatically improve your open rates. So we'll send an email with a split tested subject line. So you need two subject lines right there. And then we will, we're having a bit of a software issue right now, but normally we would resend to unopens a couple of days later. And then we need two more subject lines. I'm getting better at subject lines four times faster than I would be if I were writing one subject line. So that's just as a practice, like always, always do that. Sometimes I write even more. Like I just wrote an, an email for one of our promotional partners and I wrote six and actually like usually subject lines, number five and six are going to be the best. That's just how it works. Same thing with headlines. Like when, when my students are writing sales pages, I will say like, okay, so as an exercise, sit down and write 30 headlines and 29 of them are going to be like a dumpster fire. And that's okay. Cause you only need one or one that's kind of good that you can play with. So the more subject lines you write, the better. And just as a tip, something that I teach in my program, email stars is I like to categorize email subject lines in three categories. So there are curiosity inducing subject lines, which are like, I, I really love the word this, this picture exclamation point. Like what is, that's like my subscriber wants to know right away. What is this? Or is this really okay? Oh, she's going to talk about something that might be like controversial or even just putting a question mark on top after basically anything at, like changes the meaning of it and makes it makes me want to know more. So that's curiosity. And then urgency. I do use those sparingly because they do lose their, you know, if you can't always be using urgency or it's like the boy who cried wolf, but you know, things like uh, one day left or last chance or whatever, I do use those. And then the third type would be just purely like informational. So if you are registered for my webinar, small list, big profit, 
you are going to get a confirmation that says you're registered in square brackets or something like that. Or, you know, you purchase email stars, like purchase confirmation or something like that. Like we need those too. But with usually with newsletters, I try and create as much curiosity as possible. And that can be done in lots, lots of ways, like weird words, unusual words that you don't see very often, but like anything back to the most basic principle, you will get better at it. It helps to have a few of those tricks in your back pocket and know what you're trying to do, but practicing, practicing, practicing with every email and you will get better. Yes. I love that. I love it's the practice of it. And then also multiple per email helps you also figure out what works best. Such Mm. great tips. Okay. So you touched a little bit on, you know, the right offer, the right relationship with your customers. So can you talk a little bit about customer research? Is that something that you recommend? How do you recommend people do that? What's your take on customer research? I think sometimes people shy away from it because they're like, oh, I know what my people want. Like, I'm pretty sure that they want this course. So they kind of skip over some Mm. of those steps maybe. Yes. That is the hardest and most painful way to test whether or not a thing is going to work is by making it. And I have made that mistake so many times. Like I'm so excited about this thing. And then nobody wants it. I'm like, oh, I could have saved myself like so much effort on this. So I think customer research, like it sounds like a big, scary term. And I do want to say like, this isn't something that I'm awesome at. I'm not an expert in this. However, I am an expert in listening to my people and which I do through email replies. I, we also do surveys and also just talking to them. So One thing I've done, I used to do for past clients when I was doing customer research is I would get on the phone with their email subscribers. And step one was usually to send a survey. And actually, I really like Ryan Levesque's program, Ask, because he has like a really tight process for sending surveys. And basically, just to summarize, like in your survey, only ask one open-ended question because people will bail and then a few multiple choice questions. So like, let's say it's me and I'm trying to do like, I teach email marketing and I'm trying to figure out what's my next product going to be. So the first question could be, what's your biggest struggle when it comes to email marketing? And that's the only open-ended question. And in that open-ended question, my subscribers are going to tell me the biggest problem that they need me to solve. So I'm going to create my product around that. And then the second, like, then you could have a couple questions around the format. Like you could, something I've done in the past is like, which of these products are you most likely to buy? And then had like a couple different names or something like that. And then I might have another question about the delivery. Like if in your dream scenario, this would be a four-part series of live workshops, a one-on-one high-ticket experience personally with Tarzan K, whatever, you know, like a few different parameters. And then um, the other thing I would do for clients is at the bottom, I would say, are you available to be interviewed about this further? And if so, leave their phone number. And I think the reason that Ryan teaches to leave a phone number is really because the people who leave the phone number tend to be like your most engaged, most committed people. So you, you actually, it's not just for the phone number. It's also because you want to pay special attention to who those people are and what they said they want. So that's kind of the 
process. However, I will also say like I, in the past, like I remember taking a client's business through that process and she created something and it ended up not really being what people wanted. However, I still think it is in, it is very valuable to survey your audience. Like that question, what's your number one struggle? That is like, there's so much gold there. That's called voice of customer data and copywriting. And you can use that directly in your sales copy. Like basically the bottom line is the more you talk to your people, the better you listen to them, the better able you will be to create products that are a match for them that they actually want. So much gold there. Yeah. And I think we've all launched something that we were like, oh, I'm sure people want this. And then it's crickets. So yes, I think it's great Mm -hmm. to be able to Mm -hmm. reflect on that, share that and say, please don't do it that way. (laughs) To learn how to make email marketing the profit center of your business, no matter the size of your email list, head over to tarzank.com to find out how Tarzan can help you and go ahead and join her email list. It's awesome. To get the show notes and links from today's episode, head over to natalielussier.com and click the podcast link. You can also subscribe to receive email notifications when new podcasts are released. Thanks for listening and until next time. Want to keep growing your business on your terms? Then sign up for my free newsletter, The Momentum Memo. You'll get quick, actionable tips to gain momentum in your business every Tuesday. Head over to natalielussier.com forward slash memo to join over 6,000 other entrepreneurs scaling on their terms. Whether you're just getting started or have been running your business for a while, the Momentum Memo has something for you. 